When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello, I'm Eddie Gibbs and welcome back to Stat Me Up here on Anfield Index. For one week only, I'm filling in those sizable hosting boots of Dade Davis. And from a personal perspective, only a week or so back, I can confirm that he's currently in a holiday destination with far superior stats than Liverpool's XG from the win over Burnley on Saturday. So if you thought you were done with me after Media Matters with David Lynch yesterday, think again, I'm ready and to dive in deep on Liverpool's latest numbers with none other than our resident number cruncher and the man who knows his Liverpool stats better than Darwin Nunes knows the woodwork. Yes, it's the esteemed Ben Boxack. Now let's uh, get the show on the road and let us stat, let you stat us up, Ben. What we've got? What have you got for us today to make our listeners' jaws drop faster than the opposition's hopes when Diogo Jota's bearing down on their goal? Well, obviously we'll we'll look at the Burnley game a little bit. Harvey Elliott. Uh, I think we'll we'll take a look at Vandenberg as well and uh, uh, a couple of other loanies who are doing really good stuff on loan. Um, and then we'll look ahead to Brentford as well and look at the numbers and see how we've done against Brentford recently, especially away from home. <laughs> that one sounds like it could be for the uh, for the pessimists more than the optimists. <laughs> and that's from the untrained eye. So let's look at that Burnley game then that you just mentioned. Uh, a good result. Probably, certainly the, the feedback that we've had on other podcasts and in articles, everyone's sort of consensus is the first half was really not up to scratch. And there could be a whole number of factors in, in that. But what, what are your thoughts on the game then in terms of both what the eye test showed you during the match and what you saw in the numbers uh, when you looked after the match? Yeah, I mean, I think we spoke straight after the game and we sort of said like Liverpool got away with it at times a little bit. I think the numbers reflect that as well because... If we're looking at big chances created, for example, Burnley created four and they only scored one of them um, and Liverpool only created five as well. So really the difference between the two sides, if you're just looking at those numbers alone, wasn't huge, um, didn't reflect on the scoreline anyway. Uh, the scoreline felt a lot more comfortable, I think, for Liverpool. I thought on the eye test as well, I didn't think Liverpool used the ball very effectively I thought you know this was just times when it was the same sort of problem against Arsenal when Liverpool sort of struggled to to bring the ball out and into dangerous territories and I thought Burnley did a good job in closing down lanes and um, that created a lot of transitions for Burnley as well to exploit and I think that's why we saw that Trofafana get in behind a couple of times fortunately for us he, he missed those opportunities, but I think those turnovers created moments for Burnley where Liverpool's defenders maybe weren't set and weren't as prepared to to handle those um, situations. And I think the press as well created that as well. I don't think Liverpool pressed as effectively as as they have done in in the other games. And would was that the way you would have expected that game to go at the start? Because I, I mean, I said this to David Lynch on the podcast yesterday and listening back to some of the preview podcasts, even from the Burnley fans, the consensus was that Burnley would try and play out from the back rather than go direct. But they went direct very, very quickly. I mean, it was a mixture of direct balls and time waste. And literally that was their, that was their mantra. So did, did that shock you or, or, or was that something you were expecting? Well, I think, I think they did that 
in, in the, the the home game for them as well and the away game for us. And I think as well, like, I obviously going into the game on paper, you'd expect Liverpool to be more comfortable and, and to handle this challenge a lot better. But I think when you actually look at the context of like, they had to deal with flu and there's a lot of injuries on top of everything else. Trent Alexander-Arnold then had to pull out at half time. Like, given that context, given like maybe the the energy levels weren't a hundred percent in the team, uh, I don't think it's surprising that Burnley would look to exploit that, and Liverpool therefore would maybe struggle a little bit. And I think that's what we saw really. And um, overall, though, I think in in this kind of game. All that matters is the win and <laughs> Liverpool got the win. I listened to the Under Pressure podcast this morning. I know you did as well. And uh, there was some conversation between the, the the difference between Trent playing at right back in the first half and what they changed to as playing there in the second half. Uh, was there any correlation in the number you saw uh, when, when you were assessing the two halves before and after on that specifically with what what how it changed with Curtis playing it and the way he played it compared to the way Trent did in the first half? I, I couldn't spot anything on the numbers. I mean, obviously, Elliot coming in and he created a few chances, but number-wise, I didn't really spot anything. I think what stood out to me is like the difference in the way Jones played that role and the space that that created for Elliot. So, you know, mm-hmm. Jones, like, with Alexander Arnold, you're expecting him to always make those sort of like incisive final passes in into the opposition's penalty area or final third. Like he's always looking forward. Whereas with Jones, I think the difference was a lot of the times he'd maybe you know hold on to the ball a little for a little bit longer, look up, and and he didn't want to take those risks that Alexander Arnold would take. I mean, obviously he's not as good as Alexander-Arnold in in taking those risks. So a lot of the times you'd have Elliot running in behind him um, in in the middle and and he'd pull it back to him. And then obviously, as a result, Elliot's creativity really came to the fore. And I think that's why he was so good and so effective in this game because he actually got the ball a lot more more than he would have if Alexander-Arnold was playing on the right. Now, a lot of your stats that you put out after games always do very well on on Twitter in particular to get a lot of engagement on these. And I noticed you put one out a couple of days ago about Harvey Elliott for the season so far. And that one went like wildfire. It really did, it really did get a lot of interest. And I noticed even someone quizzed you about the the, the, the valid, validity of the numbers today as well. Someone would, would say, where did you get these? Because I can't I can't match that. But well, you were talking about all games rather than uh, all competitions rather than than just the Premier League. But just for the just for the listeners, if you could if you give a run through of what 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 you were touching on with those Harvey Elliott stats because they were quite they were quite eye-opening and I think I don't know if they shocked you when you uncovered them but they certainly shocked me when I read your tweet yeah yeah so it was a whole piece for Anfield Index actually that the tweet was kind of promoting so everyone can read the article as well Um, but basically I think to be honest I've kind of been following Elliot's numbers so I wasn't surprised by all of them uh, especially the the fact that he's averaged the most passes per 90 into the penalty opposition's penalty area for Liverpool in all competitions this season. That's that's been pretty much the case from the beginning of the season. He's he's been really effective at doing that. Um but I think obviously the, the standout stat which I, I led with on, on the tweet was the the expected assists, uh which <laughs> after this Burnley game is zero point twenty five per ninety according to FB ref. Um, and that is on level with Trent Alexander-Arnold in all competitions this season, and only uh, Mohamed Salah is marginally better at 0.29. So I think those, those numbers really do shock you, especially when you look at how many assists Elliot has actually gotten. It, it would seem to suggest that, you know, maybe it's it's not his fault that his assist numbers are not quite as high but maybe it's down to his teammates because the underlying numbers seem to suggest that he's doing quite well yeah I mean I had the conversation with David Lunch yesterday about how how you get him in the team because it's I'm kind of he was David was 
he picked the midfield for for Brentford without him. And then he picked uh, substitutes. He kind of was hoping Salah and Swazlai would be back as substitutes perhaps for the weekend. So he did get coming on as a sub and it, it felt incredibly harsh on this guy that everyone seemed to think was man of the match pretty much on, uh, on from the Burnley game. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a similar case with like Connor Bradley. Obviously, we talked about him after the Chelsea game and I didn't have him in my starting 11 for the Arsenal game because <laughs> Alexander-Arnold was back. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really good, though, I think, to have all of these options. Personally, I, I don't think I would start him either for, for, for the Brentford one. Not in that game. Uh, it does, it does feel harsh, but, you know, like, he's only, like, you got to look at the context. Like, he's only 20 years old, like, he's still got so much time ahead of him. There's no rush for him to be starting games regularly. Um, I think the fact that, you know, he isn't starting as many games as last season has actually benefited him in some ways. There's, there's less pressure on him, I think, when he's coming on on, on games. And he's, he's normally coming on when, like, he's got a bit of motivation and, uh, like, like, he's got that incentive to change the game. Like, if we're looking at all his goal contributions this season... They've all come at times when Liverpool really needed someone to step in. And I think that's what Klopp has kind of given him with these substitutions. Like, this is your opportunity. You've got 20 minutes, half an hour, 15 minutes, sometimes 45 minutes even to change the game. Like, show me what you can do. And I think that added motivation has really sort of elevated his performances. Um and and that's shown by you know all his goal contributions. The the late winner against Crystal Palace. The assist for Diaz's equaliser against Luton, which was in like the 97th minute or something crazy. And like, mm. um, obviously, he came on against Wolves as well, and it was 1 1. And he was involved in, in one of the goals when Liverpool went on to win 3 1. So, yeah, I think that has given him this sort of added incentive, added motivation, which has made him better in return. And let's not pretend that. There isn't work going into that, unfortunately. It's not luck that he's just gone and doing this. There's, I mean, we didn't see it because it was a half-time substitution on Saturday, but work that Peter Kravitz does at the side with the, the tablets and stuff like that, and the, Linda's gets involved in that as well. And I mean, we don't get to see what's on these screens when they're showing them, but you have to imagine there's a few golden nuggets tactically and stats-wise in these things that are, are, are basically aid that improvement in Harvey Elliott's game. And, 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 and the net result of what actually happens when he does feel they are watching closely and analysing the game in a live scenario and come on and have this impact. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy, by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, I think they've also would have had the the memory of the the Leicester game as well. When I think I think that was in the League Cup when Jones played as a right back. So like people have been talking about Jones as the right back um, in after this Burnley game, but he's actually done it already this season. And I think um, I'm pretty sure in that game Elliot started as well. And I thought they. Or, or if he didn't, he did come on at some point, and I thought they linked up quite well already in that game. And I think, you know, as a system manager, you remember those little details. Like I remember talking to the um, Hungarian national team manager Marco Rossi, and I asked him, like, because he talked about Dominic Sobosai playing as a number six, and I asked him, like, you know, has has that ever happened? And Rossi couldn't remember. But then his assistant manager was like, <laughs> started talking to him in Italian, and he was like. Actually, yes, yes, against Italy, we, we did use him for 20 minutes wow. and, and look it up. So, you know, that's why you have your assistant managers and stuff like that, because they'll remember those <laughs> details. And I'm, I'm sure that's something that either Linders or Kravitz would have had in their mind, where they would have had that memory from the League Cup games. And um, yeah, I think obviously as well, like 
Klopp doesn't tend to play like left-footed players in the right back role. So so that sort of Harvey Elliott change, like there's no one else really who could have come on for Alexander Arnold, uh, and and it, they were in a way forced into the change, but I think it worked out really well. Yeah, it did. Uh, some of the other players, now you give me these tweets that we put out on Anfield Index uh, after matches with some stat players. I think the two players that you, you were uh, were Kwanzaa, did you give me some stuff on Curtis Jones as well? I'm not sure if you did this week, but they were the other two players that kind of had those standout performances. What what were your takeaways from then, then the game? We mentioned Jones, you just mentioned Jones there, went into that right back and it turned out well. What did he do specifically as well? I mean, I know you put some stats on people were quite quick to castigate the kid there. They, I mean, there was a lot of feet, a lot of bounce back, basically saying that he was at fault for the chances uh, that that were for Burnley, uh, their big chances, uh, the ones that Fafana missed. But you were, I think, you were kind of defensive on that. That wasn't really the point you were trying to make. So, what were your key takeaways on Kwanzaa and Jones from the Burnley match? Well, I think Jones. Obviously, I mentioned he was good on the ball, sort of more he'd hold on to the ball more than you'd expect Alexander Arnold to do. But what also really stood out to me is like his defensive uh, efforts. Like he was quite sound defensively. He did a really good job, I thought, defensively. And he won all of his attempted tackles, which I highlighted in the tweet. And I just thought mm. he did really good pressing stuff as well. Obviously there's no data on pressing, but just from an eye test, the, the way he he'd closed down his opponents when Liverpool lost the ball, I thought there were certain situations when he handled handled it really well. And, uh, you know, you wouldn't necessarily expect that from a player who's been playing left-sided centre midfield to come in and, and right. do such a good job at, in in the right-back position. But I think I was, I was quite impressed with the, the way he settled in and eased into the role. Like, it didn't seem like he was out of place at all in, 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 the, in the second half. And then with Kwanzaa, like... I, I get it. Like there were situations when, you know, I, I mentioned it as well. I think that there were situations where Burnley looked like they got in behind Liverpool's defence. And I know some people will be critical of, of the defence, but I thought mostly it was just the way Liverpool was set up. I thought the the way Liverpool was set up sort of allowed Burnley to, to get those situations. And it's, it's kind of like tough to expect Kwanzaa to, to be perfect in a game like this when even Van Dyke himself wasn't perfect there were moments when Van Dyke himself could have done better but like overall and I think this is this is going to probably surprise people but this was actually Kwanzaa's first ever start in the Premier League at Anfield like <laughs> if you take that in into mind like the fact that he completed the most passes on the pitch won the most duels won the most tackles and made the most recoveries for Liverpool. Like <laughs> that's a pretty good performance on your first ever Premier League start at Anfield. Like, um, and I think people have got to sort of have that context with Konza because he is still very much an academy product, still very much learning his trade. He's only 20 years old and, and he's only going to get better and better. And I think, um, you know, you you got to have that in mind. Like he's he's not going to be perfect, but I thought overall he did quite well. I mean, their numbers that if Canate had been playing that position, and you were saying those things on this podcast about Canate, Canate would have every right to be proud of that as well. So I mean, it's uh, that that's the levels that we're talking about here. And this is a kid, you know. What I mean, he was playing at, in Bristol last year. You know, what I mean, it shows that uh, it shows the progression he's made. And there was obviously all that talk in the summer about Levi Colwell and and going and getting him from Chelsea. And I think what we've seen from Kwanzaa has just shown that Liverpool already had someone in house, and we didn't know it. I was. Honestly, I was so critical of the recruitment and Klopp when he when they started Kwanzaa against Wolves for his first game earlier in the season, and I was thinking to myself, this just this is just a failure of recruitment. You know, what I mean, that's the thing that you immediately get drawn to. And I've been made to eat those words, and thank goodness I have. Yeah, I think you know, Kwanzaa's actually kind of been on my radar, not just at academy level, but I've been watching a lot of sort of England under nineteen games mm. and under 18 games and and over the last couple of years like he's been really good on those these England setups like um 
I remember one moment in particular, I think in a European qualifier when like he went on this mazy run and got an assist um, in, 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 in one of those England games. And I wrote an article back then, like sort of writing about him and praising him for not just for that run and that goal, which was very sort of Joel Matip-esque, I, I would say. And uh, I'm going to try and find the video when, when we post this <laughs> online uh, for, for people to see. But I think in the UEFA Youth League, he was doing really well. Um, the the, the run-up to the FA Youth Cup, I f- I'm pretty sure he was captain of that Liverpool team or one of the key players in, in the run-up to, um, in, 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 I think it was in the 2020-21 season or 2021-22 season when Liverpool made it to the FA Youth Cup final. He was he was a key player in that success. So he, it's been a long time coming for him. Like He doesn't just come out of nowhere. Liverpool have regarded him highly for, for, for many years and um, you know it's, it's only just now that he's he stepped up and done really well in the first team I think um, from the moment really he stepped in at pre-season I was impressed I thought he did really well um, the, the Leicester game in particular in pre-season when he had to handle Pat Tendaka, um he's quite a fast player I think Van Dijk in the past has highlighted like Dakar's sort of speed and the way he handled that Leicester game I thought was really good and he's just grown in strength since then even that little cameo against Newcastle in his Premier League debut I thought he really did really well given the circumstances that Liverpool were down to 10 men and um, yeah I think I think he's a top talent and it just goes to show like you know sometimes you've got to trust the academy and you've got to trust the kids and I think we've We've learned that a couple of times this season already, not just with Kwanzaa, but some of the other players as well. Yeah, I, it's funny you mentioned that Newcastle game because that's the one I was actually going to throw back at you. I was at that game up in the gods and it's the first time I'd seen them live. And the thing that dawned on me that I hadn't quite picked up from the TV was uh, he he was, for, I think the thing that holds defenders back, certainly centre-halves, is it's young centre-halves, is their physical capacity, their frame. You know what I mean? A lot of them at 2019, they haven't grown into their man's body effect at that point. But this guy was a giant. He was like, it wasn't like you were bringing on a 20-year-old effectively kid. You were bringing on, it almost looked like you were bringing on a seasoned campaigner. He looked like a man, you know what I mean? He looked like the full physical specimen you would expect of a centre-half, very much like a Van Dyke, you know what I mean, or a Canate. It, it's not the sort of guy you would mess with. And that was the uh, that was the thing that immediately got, I was immediately drawn to me. Now, we're going to speak about another centre-half, another Liverpool-owned centre-half, although I think he plays at forwards as well. So I'm going to get the lowdown on this from you just now. We're going to talk about uh, Seth Vandenberg, who's uh, who's out on loan and struggling with the team that he's in because they're struggling, but he's not struggling, is he? And you, you wrote an article on Anfield Index last week, which I edited and put on the website, and I was actually stunned at this. This one really caught me off guard because I, I don't follow the Bundesliga. I mean, I have a, I struggle to follow Liverpool at times, but it's like, uh, is it, well, let's tell me about Seth Vandenberg and some of the insights that you shared in, in, in that article. Yeah, so, yeah, he, his team are struggling. I think they're 17th in the league. Um their manager has just been fired as well. So it's it's not been a great season for Mainz, Jurgen Klopp's former team, of course. But I think from Liverpool's perspective, that's not necessarily a negative. I mean, when you're sending a, a young player out on loan, you almost want him in these situations because he's going to be confronted with so many scenarios that he can learn from and he actually will need to defend. So it's not necessarily oh. negative. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... um Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. 
So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Overall, uh, he has dealt with the, the the sort of challenges that have come his way really good. Um, you know, he's, he's, quite, he's up there, I think, in the top 10 centre-backs for defensive dual success rate, um, interceptions as well. He's ranked fourth out of centre-backs for top speed recorded, uh, which is quite impressive because mine's play a pretty deep line. So, you know, there's not that many opportunities for him to clock up those top speeds. He doesn't have to make a lot of sprints in this Mines team. And the fact that he's done it is, is quite impressive. Uh, but obviously, I think the highlights that which surprised everyone and stunned everyone is the fact that he's won the most, up until last weekend, he's won the most aerial duels out of any defender in Europe's top five leagues, um, more than Van Dijk, um, by by three, only by three. I think Vandenberg has 97 or had 97 and, and Van Dijk had 94. So marginally better than Van Dijk. And obviously, with the, the context being that Vandenberg contested Loved, a lot more. Attempted a lot more. <laughs> yeah. But but I think overall, like even his success rate in aerial jewels is, is still quite good. Uh like I think it's over 70%, which is uh what you want from a Liverpool defender, basically. Uh anything above 70% or even 65% is is a is a good sort of statistic for a defender. I think Van Dyke is around 80% normally. So when he's at his best, but Anything over? I assume mine's exclusively playing the centre half rather than. I think when he was on loan at uh, Preston, he was at right back or, or uh, certainly as a as a fullback. Whereas mine, are they are they playing him exclusively at centre back? Yeah, so mine's play with a back three, and actually, like he's been playing both as a right sided centre back and as a left sided centre back as well. So he's. He's showing a bit of versatility still, even though he's not quite playing, you know, the right wing back role that he played at Preston. But he is showing that he can play both sides and similar to Kwanzaa that we talked about. Obviously, Kwanzaa's filled in for Virgil van Dijk. He's played alongside Virgil van Dijk as well. So, yeah, I've, I think he's quite impressive um, and, and he's done really well. He's, you know, I think he's probably up there and as one of the best young centre-backs in the Bundesliga this season. There is talk, I heard Dave Hendrick mention this on Daily Red today, that mines have a buy option, a purchase option on, on him. So, But obviously, if they do go down, then that's probably voided at that point because they wouldn't probably be able to take that up at that point anyway. But do you see a future for Vandenberg at Liverpool? I mean, we, I know that the, the flavour of the month is to talk about Xabi Alonso and him coming to Liverpool next season. And we know he plays a back three at Leverkusen, you know what I mean? And that Liverpool are going to need reinforcements in this area. We don't expect, as things stand, Joel Matip to, to come back and play for Liverpool again. That's, nothing's really changed there at the moment. So there are going to need to be reinforcements. And do you think this kid could be could could be one that could step up? I mean, he is homegrown, let's not forget as well, which is uh, another big another big feather in his cap. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, hypotheticals here because we don't know who the next manager will be. And we don't even know if Alonso is going to go with the back three at Liverpool. Like Jurgen Klopp played a 4-2-3-1 up until he joined Liverpool and then he switched to the 4-3-3. So, um, you know, formations can change for managers depending on who you have in the squad. But I do think, like, it would be a bit of a shame if, like, Vandenberg wasn't given a chance or wasn't given a look in by the new manager because you know we've seen with Konza it can pay off if you if you give a young player a chance. And obviously Liverpool have been working on trying to develop him and 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 improve him since he's arrived at the club like almost five years ago now. So if Liverpool were to to sell him, you know, like it, it would be just a little bit of a shame. Like it would be kind of like a waste of those five years, essentially, because I don't think right now, even though he's doing really well, I don't think you'd be able to get a lot of money for him. It would be a similar situation to Taiwo Avanii, who mm-hmm. obviously was doing decent in the Bundesliga, hadn't quite blown up yet, but he was just about to, and Liverpool sold him for a measly sum compared to what Union Berlin then sold him on for to Nottingham Forest a, a year later. And with Vandenberg, I get the sort of same impression. Like 
he's just about to take off. And if you sell him now, okay, maybe you might be able to get, you know, seven, eight million for him, maybe 10, uh, if, if you're lucky. But, you know, in a year's time, that could turn to 20, 25, and um, you could be making a, a much bigger profit. Yeah, fair enough. Let's uh, look at another player then that's on loan. Uh, I know you keep an eye on these things, so it'd be worth sort of casting your net over what you're seeing with the uh, with the loanees that are out there. I know Liverpool have had results, obviously, in the loan market this season. With it seemed like at one point in January, everyone was returning by the bus load. Uh, but one that seems to have got one that went out on loan that was at Liverpool for the first half of the season has now gone on loan to Wigan. Is uh, is, is is Chambers? And uh, I know you said you were going to write something about him this week. So so we'll look out for that uh, appearing on the website. But we also know that Xabi Alonso was interested in him at Leverkusen last summer, and that never materialised. He stayed at Liverpool for the for the first half of the season and then went to Wigan. What can you tell us about how he's doing so far? Yeah, he's. I think he's played six or seven games now in the Championship, and um, he's been. He's sorry, Championship League One. I I forget. We're <laughs> gonna not that good anymore. <laughs> Um, yeah, he's been playing in League One. Obviously, that's the, the league that Conor Bradley and Jarrell Kwanza were at last season. And and I think he's done quite well so far. He's slotted straight into Wigan starting 11. He's he started every game since he's arrived. Um, and numbers-wise, he's doing really good as well. So last weekend, Wigan lost... 2-1 to Exeter, which is, I think, a game you probably expect Wigan to win. But um, Chambers still stood out. He had the most tackles on the pitch, uh, won the most duels as well. Um, and and uh, he's actually won the most tackles on the pitch for Wigan, like three of his six starts so far or something like that. So, you know, he's, he's doing really well numbers-wise. He's winning around like over 60% of his defensive duels. Um, he's already got an assist, so he's doing well going forward. I think Sean Maloney is the Wigan manager. He's been really impressed with him. And I think what's stood out to me, which is kind of interesting and which I can see why Alonso was linked with him, is the fact that already in, in those few games that he's he started for Wigan and he's played for Wigan, he's played as a left wing back and as a left-sided centre-back as well. Uh, he's playing in 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 that back three formation, um, and and I think you know obviously looking at Alonso's formation for Bayer Leverkusen, you can kind of see where he could have slotted in. He could have he he can play in that Hincapié role, who's playing as a left sided centre back, but I think he's capable of playing the Grimaldo role in in the left wing back position. So, yeah, I think he's he's one who's obviously very young as well, born in two thousand and four, so still in his teens uh, and I think um, you know still have to be patient with him but he seems like one of those who could follow the, the Bradley and Kwanzaa path of you know coming back to Liverpool after a solid loan spell and, and, and stepping up and using their experience from League One playing with adults uh, to, to their advantage and, and using it uh, to, to get into the Liverpool team so I think he's definitely one to watch as well as Liverpool fans we've kind of for the last 10 years just seen players go out on loan and loan and loan and loan and loan and then either released at the end of their contracts for free or go for a paltry sum to some uh, League One or League Two side or a team in Scotland or something like that. You know what I mean? It's, it's quite strange to actually see these guys having successful loans and not just successful in the terms that the Liverpool can sell them on for a decent fee, but that they could actually have a place in the Liverpool squad going forward. I mean, that's quite remarkable, actually, the turnaround because I just don't, I just don't think that used to happen. No, I can't. I can't remember. I mean, yeah, I'm quite young, but I, I can't remember a time when loans <laughs> were going this well. I know. Yes, we had a lot of recalls, and obviously, not every loan works out, uh, but. I do think the loan strategy over the last couple of seasons at Liverpool has been quite effective. I think after Edwards left, we've seen a lot more players go out on loan from the academy before Klopp was almost a little bit reluctant to send them out on loan. But I think maybe his mind, his head has been turned a little bit from based on the success of some of the younger players. Like Particularly, I think... Elliot's loan spell at Blackburn would have been a sort of significant turning point because 
he did so well in that spell and then he came back to Liverpool and immediately came back into the starting eleven. And I think that was a bit of a turning point for Klopp to recognise actually, you know, we can benefit from these loan deals. And and since then, we've seen a, a lot more success in that on that front. And, you know, it's not just Vandenberg, it's not just um, Luke Chambers at the moment, but we're seeing Tyler Morton doing really well. Fabio Cavallo, thankfully, is now doing well at Hull City and, and a host of other players as well. Yeah, and of course, there was the Owen Beck story as well, where he was recalled uh, as a squad option, effectively, for the entire month of January before uh, going back to Dundee as well. And he's getting rave reviews up here in Scotland. I mean, they absolutely love him up here and certainly in Dundee. So he's another one to keep an eye on. Obviously, similar position to Chambers there as well. So we're kind of spoiled with these fullbacks that seem to be uh, materialising all of a sudden. Now, let's, uh, let's close the chat. On the on the loan discussion, look ahead to the next match, which is Brentford. Obviously, this is a an, two week rarely where Liverpool have only had sort of one game a week. Which is this is after this week, that's the end of that. That shouldn't be happening again. Certainly, as uh, Liverpool continue uh, challenging on four fronts, the uh, Brentford game. Then, uh, I mean, you mentioned at the top of the show there that you've got some stats against them and our away record. Now, I said to David Lynch yesterday, I can't recall. Liverpool winning there at any time that I've since certainly since Brentford have come up it seems to have been a tough challenge I mean that three all game a couple of years ago we should have won that game that was uh that was silly mistakes but last year we were comprehensively outplayed they, they had an excellent game plan and it worked to treat I think it was one of Liverpool's worst games it was right up the Wolves game in terms of how we were but what are the stats then on on our away record there and how how are Brentford doing in general stats wise this season I don't need a VPN I've got nothing to hide <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with libertyshield.com not only is my home internet now fully encrypted but I can now access all the websites I want whenever I want and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, magboxes, and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Yeah, well. If you can't remember, that's because we haven't won that. Uh, there's only been two games in Brentford's new stadium, <laughs> and uh, both games, obviously, you mentioned it. It was the the free or draw and and the free one defeat. So both games haven't really gone according to plan for Liverpool. Uh, but since they've come up, we have done well against them at home, and uh, you know, like. Overall, if we're looking at the historical record against Brentford, I mean, we, we're still won a lot more games than they have against us. Mm. Uh, I mean, last season in, in 2023, when they beat us, that was for the first time since like pre-Second World War. So that was like, it's a pretty long time. Um, but I think overall, I, I don't really want to, underestimate Brentford because I think especially in the last few weeks they've they've been getting better uh, they sort of um, beat Forest recently almost got a result against Spurs away from home it, they I think Spurs beat them 3-2 but like a late late winner um, gave City a good game as well recently uh, they were one nil up at half time, and then Phil Foden came along and decided to ruin all the fun from from that game <laughs> of that game. And and then last weekend they they beat Wolves as well. So they they've kind of been on the up. I think overall numbers wise, they haven't done really well in the Premier League. Not not the standards that they have set anyway under Thomas Frank over the last 
two seasons before this. But I think a lot of that is to do with the fact that like he's just been so unlucky with injuries and suspensions, obviously, to Ivan Tony, And then AFCON, AFCON sort of took away some of their players as well. Um, so it hasn't been a very sort of fortunate season for Brentford. They're like pretty much like they're missing like four or five of their key players and or big signings that they've brought into the club who are out with long-term injuries. And obviously that plays to our advantage because they're not going to be involved. But I think they're still a tough team to beat, especially with Ivan Tony back now and, um, you know him being a Liverpool fan. I'm sure he's going to be determined to to put in a good performance, especially with like all the transfer talk around him. I'm sure like he'll want to like make a statement against a big club. Yeah, I was shocked at the comments that he came out with uh, after after the uh, after the match at the weekend there, where he was saying that uh, the manager doesn't want him. You know, what I mean, he took that as a manager. I'm sure it was tongue in cheek, but it just came along as so condescending to Brentford. You know, what I mean, I, I can imagine the other player showing up at training with him on Monday, thinking, to him, "What the hell are you saying?" You know, what I mean, it's like it just seemed a bit of a punch in the face to Brentford and their fans, which surprised me that uh, he would come out with something like that with only a year left on his contract. And let's let's be honest, is no chance he's wanting to sign that contract. So I find it uh, I find it quite crazy that he came out with a con. A, a comment like that but that seems to be the nature of the guy he does seem to uh fly off at times on on, on certain things but uh, i looked at the fixtures to come and uh i actually think this is one of our hardest games that we have left this season the brentford one uh, people probably look at the away games at old trafford and goodison but i actually think this one they just seem so well set up at home to play liverpool you know what i mean it's it's gone that way the last two seasons and uh it's been I mean, I remember thinking that when we when we had that three all a couple of seasons ago that we would roll them. I really did. I just thought we were set up perfectly for them and how wrong I was and kind of like the way the Anfield games have gone. I mean, the chances created Anfield earlier in the season. I mean, we, we, we must have had mega XG that day and I thought Watar Endo was brilliant that day. That was almost the first game where he really came to prominence. It was the one where I remember he had that challenge where everyone thought he, should have, he could have been sent off, but I mean, that was just nonsense. But he was, uh, he, he was really impressive that day and that was where he kind of arrived. So, We'll talk about the midfield because that seems to be the, we don't really know what's going to happen fitness-wise with some of these guys, how the defence will line up, how the attack will line up, whether Mo Salah will be back. But in terms of the midfield makeup, what are your thoughts on on that? Because I, I had that conversation with David Lynn yesterday and we were trying to work out where we were starting. Now, I think I opted for, I couldn't see he wouldn't play Endo in this one because he's good in the air. He's much more a physical specimen in the six and the McAllister of just redistributing that ball and then letting McAllister kind of pass to the forwards rather than the midfielders, if you like. So I kind of like the idea of the sailed that started the game against Burnley with, uh, with, Endo sitting deeper and then Jones on the left and McAllister on the right. I kind of like that midfield, but let's uh, a contrary to Yeah, I think for me as well, I don't, I don't think from what I understand, I don't think Sobosay will be fit to start this one. Depending on how his week goes, he could potentially be a sort of latecomer in, on, on the bench, but I don't know, like Obviously, with the way Liverpool sort of rushed him back, potentially uh, for the for the Norwich and Chelsea games, maybe they'll even if he's like seven, like ninety percent sort of fit to to be on the bench, maybe Liverpool will just hold back because of the the games that are coming up, and and they won't want to risk it. Um, so obviously that leaves I think a pretty like you mentioned a pretty obvious sort of start in midfield I thought overall I thought the midfield did did well against Burnley they weren't amazing but I think you gotta have like the context in mind of like the fact that there was a flu the fact that there were players missing like obviously it was just a sort of not an ideal situation Um, but I think like you mentioned Endo did well McAllister maybe didn't do as well as he has done in in the last few games. I think it would be interesting to see if if for this one, Klopp maybe decides, you know, with Trent not being available, likely, um, 
if 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 he decides to go with not inverting the right back and having almost instead a, a sort of double pivot with McAllister and Endo, and then Jones being the, the sort of more advanced midfielder, or 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 vice versa. I think Jones he's been able to, you know, he's played a, as a double pivot as a six in preseason and in a few games this season. So that could be something to look into. But I think given the fact that Trent's not available, so it will likely be either Connor Bradley or Joe Gomez, um, depending on who's who's ready to to play this game. I think it'll be interesting to see if, you know, he decides to sort of not tweak the personnel, but maybe the setup of the midfield just to get the best out of um, you know, all of them in there and also sort of deal with Brentford's threat because I think Brentford are going to press aggressively. That's what they do. And maybe if Brentford are going to be pressing, it makes sense to have two players dropping back a little bit more and giving the centre-backs more options in terms of, you know, playing out from the back and building up. And then, you know, Jones or McAllister can play in between the lines or even Elliot, we, we, you know, we, we, we spoke a lot about him on this podcast and um, obviously he was man of the match in the Burnley game. So, you know, even he could potentially come in and play in between the lines and sort of, um, you know, cause Brentford problems. It's kind of funny because, again, I'm just referring back to this podcast. Yesterday I said to David Lynch that I don't foresee a world where Klopp ever plays a double pivot of uh, of Endo and McAllister and then you come out with that. <laughs> Some irony there. The uh, the right back one. I I would uh, think that Gomez is nailed on for this because of his height. You know what I mean? And and and, and the aerial presence that Brentford are going to throw. Uh, I I know what you're saying about maybe not playing the inverted right back, and obviously Gomez could do that as well. But that would lend itself to, uh, to that would lend itself to not using Gomez in that position if you were going to do the inverted. I don't think he works as the inverted player. I think Liverpool have tried at left back, they've tried at right back. It, it's not the same, is it? it, it it's a completely different type of inversion when you use Joe Gomez to when you use Trent Alexander-Arnold. Yeah, and I think it's more effective almost when he's playing on the left. Like, when he's coming in there, he's he's actually causing problems to, to defenders and that's why I think he's come so close to scoring as well at <laughs> times this season. He's had a lot more goal-scoring opportunities and all of those have come from sort of left-back position rather than right-back. And obviously... In, in that left back row, he can cut onto his right. He can sort of like spray passes um, across the pitch, which he has done a couple of times. And I think that has been quite useful. He's actually quite good, like on the ball, especially like sending long balls and switches and like stuff like that. Like people don't consider Gomez as as one of those players, but he is capable of doing that. And I think that's why it works more effectively on the left side rather than the right side, whereas on the right side, obviously you can't, like, he, he can't, he's not as good with his left foot as he's with his right foot. So in that sense, I think, yeah, yeah it just makes sense to have him, in, if he's going to invert, to have him do that on the left and not the right. Yeah, I think either him or Bradley would play as a, a, as a traditional right, well, a tra- we say traditional, not a traditional as in sitting deep, but a traditional sort of, fullback slash wingback going forward on the right side. I mean, that suits both their games best in that in that position. So that's what I would expect to see. I, I would go with Gomez personally because of the height. That would be, just give me the edge on on, on that. And the, I think the aerial presence is going to be massive. I'm so glad uh, that Ibrahim Kanate is going to be back for this one. <laughs> it's uh, it's the thought of uh, it's the thought of that aerial dominance. And that's nothing against Kwanzaa again, who we spoke about in glowing terms, but Kanate being back is perfect for this one. So what are you expecting score? Always from this one then at Brentford. I mean, I think it's going to be a tough one. Like you said, I think this is probably one of the toughest games, and it is like. Important. Would you take a draw? Would you take a draw if it was off for T now? Nah, nah. And <laughs> at, at this stage, we we can't afford to drop points. We we got to get wins. So, like you know, it's going to be a tough one. And like you mentioned, they've Brentford probably have like two of the the most sort of aerially strong players in the Premier League in, in Pinnock and Ivan Tony, like they're going to be a threat. But Liverpool also have 
four centre-backs in, in Kwanzaa, Gomez, Van Dijk and Konate, who all rank really high for aerial duels as well. Like, pretty sure in the top 10, all of them are around the top 10 mark in, in the Premier League for aerial duels. So Liverpool should be able to deal with that threat. And like, we are in a league title race and on paper, this Brentford side are 14 from the table. So you've you got to get three points against them. And it's not going to be easy, but I think we'll, we'll edge it. Maybe another sort of 3-1 victory or 3-2. It, it's going to be a tie. I'm, I think there's going to be goals either end, but I think in the end, Liverpool will get a result. And of course, it is a Saturday lunchtime kickoff as well, which is uh, Klopp's big bugbear. But he does have a whole week to prepare for this one. So there's not, he can't really use that excuse too much. And I imagine that they'll be working on the, the Brentford set piece uh, plan uh, constantly this week because that's going to be absolutely massive. They, they don't want to be giving them too many set pieces because that's like candy to a baby for, for Thomas Frank and Brentford, who will be practicing that themselves all week, I'm sure. So that brings us to a close, Ben. Thanks for the uh, thanks for your company this afternoon. We've covered quite a lot there in terms of the uh, the Burnley game, the loan the loanies, and obviously a look ahead to that Brentford game. Dave Davis will be back next week. Uh, anything you want to say in closing? Yeah, it's been a pleasure. And um, keep an eye out for, for the Chambers article. I'm sort of preparing the stats for that and uh, watching some clips of him. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to putting that together. We shall do that indeed. And we'll look forward to more of your tweets after the uh, Brentford game as well. I'm always watching my phone now for them coming through it. So it's something I think, well, the, the game will be ending. What's Ben this one? What numbers is he going to send me? And then we kind of get them out on the social networks and see how they go. And they seem to get excellent feedback. So thanks for them. And we'll, we'll look forward to keep them coming. And thank you to all of you for listening. Dave Davis will be back next week. I'm not sure if I've got any more pods to cover for him this week. I'm sure he does a press conference thing that I might be tempted into at some point, depending on what Klopp has to say. But uh, until next Next time, thanks for listening and up the reds. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.